0: Now, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when Jesus was 12, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know it. Assuming that he was in a group of travelers, they went a day's journey, and then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, They returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. And all who heard Jesus were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. Jesus said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he had said to them. And then he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And Jesus was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace be yours from Jesus. Amen. The thing I miss most about teaching catechism are the questions that middle school kids ask. Um, Confirmation is a traditional middle school ministry. uh, And among Lutherans now, we call it something different. We call it affirmation of baptismal promises. I haven't taught it for a number of years. I miss it. It is an amazing age to be teaching with. I gave it up at a point when I, I couldn't hear as well, and I didn't think that was very fair to young kids who might be asking a sensitive question, and their pastor would say, huh? Or speak louder, I can't hear you. And when we had grown so much that I needed to do some other areas of ministry. Since that time, Michelle Mages has stepped up. She has led our our affirmation ministry done a fantastic job. She created a team, led it for a number of years. A host of great teachers and mentors this year serve every Wednesday and every Sunday during the school year. Evan Cameron, Di McCullough is here at this service, Catherine Ritzy, Jody Shule, Jonathan Spiker, Nate Taylor, and Camille Aldrich all form this great team. And I would note for you all that only two of those people have a middle school child in their family. And they do a fantastic job. I also want you to know that we have formed a group called the Youth and Family Collaboration Project. It began late October. All of our youth and family ministries at Lord of Life Church are are growing, are, are kind of bulging, and that's exciting, except they're all doing that independently of one another, kind of like in silos, which plays a little havoc on our church calendar from time to time, and it plays a lot of havoc if you happen to have a child in each one of those silos. So we gathered some key players. We got a K through 12 life passage leaders, our affirmation and baptism leader, one body, number of parents, a current seminary student we kind of stole from another congregation who's studying youth and family ministry, and then one old pastor. And we have uh, committed ourselves to 6 months to discern and to pray over this question, which I invite you to begin praying with us now. What is the very best that we can do at Lord of Life Church to help young disciples and to help families of all kinds of those young disciples. What's the very best we can do to help them grow in the way of Jesus? We're three months into that project. It's really been exciting. The passion is palpable. We're getting to know each other better, work with each other already better, but most importantly, we're starting to gain a vision of what we can do together. Very exciting. All of which is to say, a little preview, infomercial, I'm not being bashful about that. I've got a number of visiting pastors here today, and they recognized that the minute I did it. The big reason that I love catechism and youth ministry is that there's really nothing like a kid who asks a question. And I mean, a question that kind of sets your world upside down. That is what I think is going on in our gospel reading if we don't have just a little too much God stuff going on in our head, if we could kind of see it for what it really is. Three days after Christmas, um, that's hard to do, I know. I would have loved to have been there uh, in this gospel story uh, because Jesus at that point is in the throes of adolescence. Some of you who knew me in another era knew that um, all of my sons were destined to have the same hairstyle that I have. And so uh, my motto throughout their high school years was do whatever you want with your hair because you're not going to have it long. (laughs) And so I was just pondering this weekend in my devotion to say, well, what does Jesus' hair look like as his parents take him to Jerusalem and did he even really want to go? His parents, and for those of you who think Joseph is just window dressing, he is not. His parents, his mom and his dad, well, actually his stepdad, Um, they take him, according to this text, to Jerusalem, not once, this is not a one-time deal, but every year they take him to Jerusalem, and they take him for a reason, they take him for a religious celebration, which is called the Passover. It's a big deal because especially if you are 12 years old, as the text says, you are in the midst of your own Jewish confirmation. You are preparing for your bar mitzvah. His parents and maybe even a whole extended family or a whole village have been mentoring their young Jesus in this way through all of his life. Now, I want to sit there for a minute because by the time Jesus gets to the night on which he was betrayed, 20 plus years from now, which we celebrate every time we gather, he is in the habit, he is in the discipline. He is in the meaningful ritual of Passover. And it doesn't just happen that he happens to be in Jerusalem for Passover. He's there because that's where God's people are. So this is a story about a family that's committed to keeping the faith and sharing the faith. They recognize that it's more than just um, faith being caught and more than just taught, but it's caught and taught, and they're doing it. They're doing it. Uh, Jesus' parents bring him to Jerusalem for Passover. And I've been pondering this all week. Uh, if, if, and that's what we're doing with our youth collaboration group, if we want our children and our teens to be like Jesus and to carry the hope and values of Jesus in their lives, then it seems to me that we would just parent them like Jesus' parents parented him. And we would village him like Jesus' village village him. So back to Jesus, God incarnate prototype adolescent. Undoubtedly, a whole clan of people had come as a group from Galilee. They've been there a few days, and as they start for home, several miles out of town, they realize that somehow, some way, little Jesus ain't with them. He's not with his friends. He's not with his aunts. He's not with his uncle. They have no idea where he is. And by the way, we're very fond of saying the time Jesus was lost in Jerusalem, if you've ever had an adolescent, it's not so clear he was lost. So they turned the donkey around, and they head back to Jerusalem. And admittedly, the world was different. It's a big festival holiday. They've been going back and forth between the homes of relatives. Very easy to get lost, if that's what happened. And we have no idea where all they looked for them. But when they finally find him, following three frantic days, I just want to go on record and said, no one has ever called me and said, I can't find my teenager, Pastor. Are they at the church? They find him in the temple. And I love this part. He is sitting among the teachers. Usually that doesn't happen unless you already know and love the teachers. And they are listening. He's listening. And he's asking them questions. Now, wouldn't you think the Son of God would already have the answers? Why does Jesus have to listen to anyone? And for that matter, aren't there more fun things that the adolescent son of God could be doing? It's fairly popular in ancient literature that famous people um, had heroic childhoods, uh, the Buddha in India, Osiris in Egypt, uh, Cyrus the Great in Persia, uh, Augustus Caesar in Rome for naming just a few. In our American culture, we don't have quite that same religious thing, uh, but we do have like George Washington chopping down his Christmas tea and never telling a lie, right? And there are stories that exist about the child Jesus as well. They exist. We still have them. You can read them. Check them out on the internet. Shepherd of Hermes, my favorite. Uh, child Jesus, his neighbor's donkey, falls down into a well. He's five years old. He reaches over the well, hangs by his toes on the edge, grabs the donkey by the tail, and pulls it up. And when the Bible is canonized, and we decided 66 books of the Bible, which, by the way, we just memorized in catechism class. And thanks to the 15 adults who took that test with those kids, all of them passed. And it's a bigger miracle that all the adults passed than the kids. <laughs> when the Bible was canonized, I said, these are the 66 books that are going to be in the Bible. Uh, these are the things that are not. And they kept four accounts of the life of Jesus. That in itself is pretty interesting and should say something to a fundamentalist church. Four accounts of the life of Jesus, and they're not at all identical. I love that. There's no one way to see Jesus. Only two of them actually even tell the Christmas story, which is why you are never going to hear the Christmas story read from Mark or John. Each of the four approaches to the death and resurrection of Jesus have a different perspective, a different lens. But in all of that, Four Gospels are included. They intentionally don't keep any Gospel. This is in writing. They don't keep any Gospel that has a Superboy story in it. The only thing even remotely close to a Superboy story is these ten verses that we just read from Luke. And our modern brain wants to say it's a Superboy story, but that's not why they put it in there. No hero stories, no childhood magic, no superpowers. Instead, what we have is a story filled with humanity that could basically describe any and every teenager I have ever known. So Jesus strays from his parents as they head back to Nazareth. His parents, and they're good parents, they're just fit to be tied. And you, you can imagine, when they find him, they tell him exactly how worried they are. Now, I was in church, and I decided not to put any little expletives in there, like you might have heard at my house, if we couldn't have found our son in three days child. That isn't exactly the way we would have said it. Child, why have you treated like this? Don't you know you're driving your father and I crazy? And little Jesus shoots back, typical adolescent zinger. Well, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? That is the stuff that gives you gray hair. In the Nicene Creed, which we're going to use this Lent and Easter, we say, he came down from heaven and was made human. That's the miracle of Christmas. Not that the human Jesus was God, but that God was a human Jesus, born of Mary. Fully God, but very importantly, fully human. And then that sent me in this direction, so what exactly does it mean then that That one is human. Well, for one thing, and there are several things, but for one thing, it's to not know everything. It's to have a whole bunch of questions. There's a lot of data out there that suggests that other species, even our most beloved pets, don't spend any time whatsoever, whatsoever thinking about where they came from or where they're going to. There's not a single pet that's ever pondered whether they're going to heaven or not. They just are. That's part of what we love about them. But to be human, to be human is to be perplexed about things that we don't understand, to seek answer for things that we don't know, for experiences that we can't reconcile. A lot of parents get embarrassed by their kids' questions. Frankly, I think they get a little intimidated sometimes by the questions. I have had parents apologize to me that their sons or daughters have asked such a difficult question. And hey, questions are challenging. I I get that. It's challenging to admit, hey, I don't know. I'm going to have to look that up. Or I've looked it up and I still don't know. And it's really challenging when your adolescent child starts asking some version of this very question. Well, if we believe this, then why do you do this? That's when it gets awkward. awkward. And sometimes, I'm just saying, it's the parents who do want to bring the kids. It ain't the kids. We adults, parents, and teachers, we try our very best to domesticate our children, make model citizens out of them, teach them to be polite and accept authority, and all that's really important to get along in the world. But speaking very frankly, maybe that's one of the reasons that a lot of high school kids don't run to church because they don't really want to be domesticated and they don't want their view of God to be domesticated because they know that God can't be domesticated. And I get that a lot of people want simple answers. In fact, people flock to churches that offer simple answers. But the highway of life is littered with people who lose their simple faith because the simple answers don't hold up when it gets tough. When I was a child, we used to say, here endeth the lesson, and the congregation would say, I'm in. Amen. And then when I was in seminary, we got a new hymnal, and that version changed to the word of the Lord, and the congregation would say, thanks be to God, as you've discovered. In our newest hymnal, we say, holy wisdom, holy word, and the congregation says, thanks be to God. And one of the funniest moments for any pastor here is when those two things all get out of whack, and somebody gets up and ends the reading and says, here endeth the reading, and the congregation says, thanks be to God. I I like the new language. I, I like the idea that we would regularly gather on a Sabbath morning to listen for holy wisdom, for holy word, because we're still growing, we're still listening, we're still asking questions, which is exactly what the adolescent Jesus is doing at the temple. He's listening for holy wisdom, holy word. He sat with the teachers. He listened, and he asked questions. Frankly, I think teenage Jesus is... Modeling something that's good for all of us. We're on the cusp of a new year. Traditionally, it's time to make resolutions, to leave some things behind, to chart a new course. I am definitely there. I've definitely got some things that I want to leave behind, and I definitely have some visions for where I want to go. But I want to humbly suggest um, some resolution as individuals and as a community that we would spend this coming year helping each other and our children and our youth, but helping each other grow in the way of Jesus. Namely, to help each other sit. Stop from all the things we're doing, to just regularly sit, gather around the Word and the sacrament, gather in small groups and classes, that we help each other prioritize just sitting together. Second, that we would help each other listen for holy wisdom, to grow by by constantly uh, comparing what we just heard with what we know to be true about Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And then finally, to ask questions and to respect the questions of others and to not settle for simplistic answers, to learn from each other, to discern together. read somewhere about a retired English literature professor at Dartmouth. I'd been retired for a number of years, 84 years old. Surprised everybody when he uh, decided and registered to audit uh, an introductory freshman class on Chaucer. Now, I want to back up, no offense to anybody who might be an English professor or anything like that, but uh, what I remember about introductory literature class is not something I would want to go back and take over. The students were a good 60 years younger than he was in his class. And when asked why he would do something like that, he said something to the effect of, well, uh, my successor would probably teach me a thing or two about Chaucer that I don't yet know. Wow. And then he said, and I love this part, besides it keeps you young and it makes life interesting. Hmm. And I remember thinking, now that's a brilliant man. Willing to sit, willing to listen, still asking questions regardless of how old he is. And that is my prayer for you, for us, and for myself. That in 2016, we would help our children grow up, and we would help ourselves stay young. By following the example of an adolescent Jesus. Sitting, listening, and asking questions in our father's house. Amen.